0: Deuteronomy chapter number 4, look down to verse 1 Remain seated tonight if you don't mind By the way, you look good You look good, nice and patriotic, no doubt uh, That you love America and you're here tonight That means you love the Lord And I don't know two better things tonight That we could love uh, and care for Than our country and the Lord for sure Deuteronomy 4.1, listen closely Now therefore hearken, O Israel Unto the statutes and unto the judgments Which I teach you for to do them that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor. For, uh, for all the men that follow Baal Peor, the Lord thy God, hath destroyed them from among you. But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you this day. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me that ye should do so in the land, whither ye go to possess it. Now watch verse number six. We're going to wrap the message up tonight with this, but I want you to see a very important point in here. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations." which shall hear of all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for the privilege of being at your house tonight. It's been a great day. I thank you for the great spirit amongst our people. Thank you, Father, for the hope that we have, regardless of circumstances, because you're still on the throne, and Lord, you're tearing your coming, so that provides us opportunity to do your will. Help us be about your business till you return. I pray you help us to receive the message tonight. Help us respond to it and be pleasing to you, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking this afternoon, one of the greatest ways to recognize just how blessed we are to live in America is when you really start considering the names that have been given to our country. I want you to think about a few of them. One is obvious, I think it has already been mentioned here this morning, a couple of them actually. We're known as the land of the free and the home of the brave. How can you not realize how blessed we are as a nation when we are known as the land of the free and the home of the brave? But then Nate mentioned this morning about Ronald Reagan's speech that we are that city on a hill. And oh, we've been that, haven't we? By the grace of God, he has allowed us to be that city on the hill. What is that? An influence to the entire world. What a blessing that this young, upstart country, which we are still very young, that God has allowed us to be that city on that hill, that influence, that light to so many of the nations that are about us. I'm so thankful that God has allowed us to live there. Some call this even God's country. I would have to agree with that. And we're also known as the land of opportunity. What a blessing it is that we get to live in a land of opportunity. Not everybody gets to do that. Travel around the world, you'll see there are people who live in a land where their ideas and opportunity is suppressed, and they don't even have the opportunity to live out uh, their hopes and dreams like we do on a daily basis if we so choose to be that ambitious. But one of the things that refers to our country, the titles that our country has been referred to that I like the most is the American Experiment. Uh, This young country was called by Alexis de Tocqueville. The Frenchman in his book, 1835, wrote Democracy in America. I've I've quoted from it oftentimes. He spoke about how we've had this great experiment for those pilgrims to come over here and to found a nation upon the will and upon the word of God. Now, were all of our founding fathers born-again Christians? I doubt it, but at least they respected and understood the value of honoring the creator that had placed us in this wonderful place that we call America. He said this when he came over to America from France as he toured our country. I sought for the greatness of the United States. Now, I want you to listen. This is a long quote, but I want you to listen to this. I sought for the greatness of the United States in her commodious harbors, her ample rivers, her fertile fields in boundless forest, and it was not there. He says, I was trying to see what makes America great, what makes America tick, and I looked in her forests, her harbors, her rivers, her fields, and it was not there. He says, I sought for it in her rich minds, her vast world commerce, her public school system, and in her institutions of higher learning, and it was not there. I looked for it in her democratic congress, in her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America... And heard her pulpits flame with righteousness. Did I understand the secret of her genius and power? America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. He says, I tried to figure out what it was that made this young upstart country tick. That we would go from a nobody to a somebody to the premier world power, seemingly overnight, dominating over nations who had been here long before us, and he sought it out. And he says it was this grand experiment of this country that would be founded upon basically the will and the word of God. Now, I want you to understand something tonight. America has been a grand, wonderful experiment. But it was never meant to be a political experiment, When you think about it and you look at our founding fathers, I want to give you some quotes from them here in just a few minutes because I think we've got a long time until my signal man signals me, okay? So just stick with me. When you look at our country, yes, we are an experiment, but we're not a political experiment. We were an experiment in obedience. There was a small handful of people who wondered what would happen if you built a country on the will and the word of God and how God would respond if a group of people built a country solely off of being obedient to Him. They wanted to see what would happen. Now, I want you to listen to what some of our founding fathers have said. George Washington said this It is impossible to rightly govern a nation without God and the Bible. Here's our founding father He says, It's impossible to govern a nation rightly without God and the Bible. They were wondering what would happen if a group of people built a country based on obedience to the Lord and his word. September 19, 1776, in his farewell address, he said this, The propitious smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of right and order which heaven itself has ordained. Here in the infancy of our country, George Washington recognized that God had smiled on this place. Now, folks, I know it's hard to look around today and say, man, we're not a blessed nation, but I assure you, venture outside of these borders, and you will see that God has smiled upon this land. The very fact that we're here tonight, that we get to come and we sing and we have a copy of the Word of God, it's evidence that God has smiled upon this land. Why? Because this grand American experiment... What would happen and how would God respond if we built a country on His will and His word? The response was God smiled on it. John Adams said this The Declaration of Independence laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity. You see the common denominator here? This grand experiment was seeing what God would do if men sought to be obedient to Him. My favorite is Patrick Henry. He says, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Do not mistake that. That has been sought to erase that from our textbooks, that there were some religious zealots that came over here to found, no, no, they were Christians. Patrick Henry says, not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. They recognize that the foundation of this great nation was founded upon the will and the word of God and our obedience to it. You see, this was not a political experiment. This was an experiment in obedience. What would God do if a nation simply decided they were going to obey him? In the last 250 years, we have seen God smile. Why? Because for the most part, we've been obedient. Now tonight, I want to look right quickly at this opportunity of obedience We haven't been obedient in a while, and we're seeing the blessings of God and the smile of God begin to turn to a frown. But tonight, if we desire God to smile on America again, we're going to have to get back to this opportunity to be obedient. Now, understand this tonight. I know it's easy for us to say, you know what? We live in the land of opportunity. We have the opportunity to get a job. Amen. I wish more people would, wouldn't you? Now hiring all over the world, everybody is hiring. I even I know some churches that are struggling right now trying to hire people. Can't even find people to work at a church. I mean, that's pretty rough. But it's not the opportunity to live out our dreams even though we have that privilege. It's not the opportunity to invent and to start a business. Yes, those are side benefits to the opportunity that our founding fathers gave us to be obedient to the will and the word of God. And God smiled on this place. God blessed us. Why? Because we were obedient. And tonight, if we want God to smile on us again, we're going to have to get back about this opportunity of obedience. Now, watch this passage of Scripture as Moses reiterates the challenge of obedience to God's people. Now, notice, if you will, verse number 1, chapter 4, now therefore hearken, O Israel, Under the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them. What is that? That's obedience. When you do what God says, that's obedience. He says, for to do them, that ye may live, and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Now, can I tell you, all the promises in the Bible do not apply to all people, okay? There's a lot of promises that are specifically for Israel, but understand, understand this. God's opportunities for obedience apply to all people. God is an equal opportunity kind of God. He gives all of us the opportunity to be obedient unto him, and he's telling his people, just like he tells us today, watch this. He says, hearken unto them and do them that you may live and go in and possess the land. Now, here's what's amazing. Notice the incentive is given right there at the beginning. The incentive is right there toward the bottom of this verse, where the Bible says that you may live and go in and what? Possess the land. The first thing I want you to see tonight is the possession of obedience. There's a possession that comes along with obedience. Now, could I tell you tonight? I can't wander from the pulpit because I don't have my mic. I don't have to stay close by here tonight. But can I tell you, God is not a God of empty pipe dreams. God is a God of promised possessions. God says, "I want you to hearken unto my word and do them that you may live and that you may possess the land." God says, "I want you to have something." God says there is a possession on the other side of obedience. Now, I'm thankful for that today because I'll be honest with you. Oftentimes in life, we can disappoint each other with promises that we can't fulfill. But I'm thankful God is not a deadbeat God, aren't you? Oftentimes throughout my teenage years and my young adult years, even after we got married, Leslie and I worked in the bus ministry. Uh, worked for my dad and worked in his bus ministry, and I would drive, and she would, uh, uh, she'd be the bus captain. She was the one who handled the taser back there when she needed to, and oh, she can use one fairly well. No, just kidding. We'd have kids get on our bus. One family in particular I'm thinking about, there was three of them, and uh, we had them from near about birth seemingly riding our church bus and uh, not far outside of Carson And those kids would get on our bus and they would tell us, boy, dad, uh, dad's coming home. And when dad comes home, uh, dad's bringing us these toys. He told us on the phone that dad's going to take us to Six Flags. Then we're going to Disney World and, and then we're getting a big new house and all of this. And unfortunately, I knew their dad. And I knew their dad was not going to come through with all the things that he had told them. I knew that their dad was going to disappoint them. Why? Because I knew their dad was not a faithful dad. He was not a faithful father. He'd be gone months and months and months at a time but I'm so thankful my father's not that way. I'm thankful tonight that my heavenly father always keeps his promises. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. What does that mean? That means on the other side of our obedience to God, there is a promised possession, and God always keeps his word. Now, folks, that ought to be a little bit of incentive tonight for us to be obedient. Why? Because when God smiles on you, look, it's not just a pat on the back. God blesses us with promised possessions, and the United States of America used to be one of them, this young upstart of a country. How did we get to where we are? It's because of obedience. It wasn't a political experiment. It was an obedience experiment. Hebrews 10.23, when it says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith, do you know what that is? Obedience. Hang on to it. Be obedient. If there's anything I could challenge you with tonight, listen, it's that obedience is always going to translate into the blessings of God, not only in this life, but the one to come. Why? Because faithful is he that is promised. God always keeps his word. And this country that we live in is a direct benefit of the fact that some people decided that we're going to be obedient to the will. Watch this. We're going to hearken unto the word of the Lord. We're going to do it that we might live and possess the land. Oh, listen, we had a wonderful land in our possession, didn't we? Past tense. How many times have you said in the last 18 months, I feel like we're losing our country? We are. We're not possessing it anymore. Do you know why? We possessed it by obedience, and we're losing it through disobedience. There's a possession that comes along with obedience. God says, Faithful is he that is promised. Now, here's what I love. I was reading down through this, and when Moses says, Look, now I want you to hearken, I want you to do it, listen, I want to teach you, I want you to do them that you may live. All of those rules that Moses was giving, he was going somewhere with it. Do you know where they were going? They were going to a promised land. It wasn't a pipe dream. It was a promised land. We're talking about real estate, all right? Keyword real, all right? It was real estate. It was something they were going to get to possess through their obedience. Moses says, listen to me. I know this is difficult, and I know you're going to be tempted to rebel, but you've got to stick with me here because we're going somewhere. Have you, have you ever? I know I'm setting myself up right here. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody who could make a short story long? It's all right. I know what you're thinking. It's okay, and I agree with you. And at the end of the conversation, you wonder, were they going anywhere with that? You feel like you just, you just lost five minutes of your life that you'll never get back. You know, sit, oh, my wife... Brother Michael and Miss Evelyn. They have this movie they like to watch about this duck in lemonade and grapes. That's all I can tell you. You have to get Brother Michael to show you. And my wife laughs. She's laughing right now thinking about it. She's about to bust out laughing. And it's the funniest video in the world to them. Got to eat grapes or something. Got to eat lemonade or something. You got to ask Brother Michael. He'll send it to you. And you can watch it for yourself. And so, man, I'm so excited. They sent it to me. My wife comes in. What well, What did you think? I said, it's two minutes and 40 seconds of my life that I'll never get back. <laughs> we'll be in the car. Leslie, look at Miley. Got any grapes? Ah, <laughs> these laugh. I still don't get it. At the end of the video, I was like, where are we going with this? It's a duck going to a lemonade stand asking for some grapes or some, some lemonade. And, and I, I still don't know where they were going with that. It's probably how you feel when you walk out of here Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night. Where was he going with that? We sat in there for 53 minutes this morning, and I still don't know where he was going with that. All right, now look, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I walk out of here wondering where I was going with it too. But understand this, God's always going with what he has to say to us. He's going somewhere with this. He says, I want you to be obedient, I want you to hearken unto it, and I want you to do it. Why? Because I want you to possess something. Isn't it amazing, the devil convinces us that serving God costs us too much. I think I've even used the phrase, it takes a lot to live right and be obedient. But I'm going to tell you, it doesn't take a lot. It gives a lot. Serving God and be obedient, look, watch this. It didn't take something from them. Obedience gave something to them. He says, I want you to be obedient because there's something I want you to possess. I know oftentimes, I'm sure if all of our teenagers were honest, you would probably, probably be honest and say that. The devil convinces you that I don't like you at times, right? Let's just all shake our head. That preacher don't like me, man. Uh, Man, he just makes my parents get all over me and all this, that, and the other. But you know why I get so fired up about our young people? I want them to possess something. I want them to learn obedience where they can possess something. I want them to find all the promises of what God's prepared. Why? Because faithful is he that is promised. God's an equal opportunity God. He gives us all the same opportunity to be obedient. And whether you possess what God prepared is simply based on your obedience. We live in a world where we deflect personal responsibility today. It's not our fault. It's not our fault. We stand before God. God doesn't operate that way. What we possess and the rewards that we have as a Christian will be a direct result of our obedience. Hebrews 11, 11. We were in Hebrews 11 this morning. The Bible says, Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Can I tell you something you may never realize before? Isaac was a real boy. Realer than Pinocchio. You know, Pinocchio's running around. I'm a real boy. No, you're not. Termites could take him out. He's a puppet. Isaac was a real boy. God says, I promise you, you're going to have a son. And it's not some pipe dream son. It's a real son. She held him. She possessed the promised child that God gave her. How does that happen? Obedience. Obedience. The word of God is full of all the opportunities that he provides us and their access through obedience to God and the wonderful country we celebrate here tonight is a direct result of what happens when you simply be obedient. Number one, the possession of obedience. Look down if you will, I'll give you number two. The signal man has not come in yet. You gotta pray harder. Look at verse two. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, Neither shall ye diminish aught from it. So notice he says, don't add to it. Don't take something from it. That ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Now, here's what's interesting. Obedience is not subjective. You can't say, well, this is what's right for me. I hear that a lot. Well, this is what's right for me, and this is what's right for me. It doesn't work that way. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. I don't care what the world says. Right is right and wrong. is still wrong in the eyes of God. Now, here's what he says. Don't add anything to it. Don't take anything from it. You see, obedience is not one way for one person and another way for another person. So notice number two, I want you to see the potency of obedience. This is important. Stick with me. The potency. If you want to possess what God promises, you access that through obedience. But notice the obedience isn't a partial obedience. He says, don't add unto it. Don't take away from it. Now, years ago, I was going down the road and I passed a a tanker truck and it had the letters on the side of it, G-E-N-I. I I, I thought it was genie. I thought that's what it stood for. But actually, it was an acronym for this phrase, good enough never is. Good enough never is. Now, think about that. Some of you need to let it sink in a little bit, that extra two-hour nap. I can tell it's still got you in a fog. Good enough never is. I think that's a great principle to live by. That good enough never is. I'm you know what? That's good enough. We as human beings are very prone to living by the good enough standard. You know, I know it's not exactly right, but it's good enough. All right? I mean, we wouldn't accept that from our mechanics, would we? Look, I know your car's still knocking when you crank it. Uh, I know your tires still won't hold air, but the patch is good enough. We wouldn't accept that. And yet that's what we offer to God. God, you know, I know what your, your word says, and boy, I really like these chapters right here. And oh, I'm going to be obedient to these chapters. But those chapters right there and those chapters right there, that's not for me. Doesn't matter. He says, don't add to it, don't take away from it. Do what God expects from us, full obedience. Full obedience. God says, I don't want you to dabble with it. I don't want you to add a little bit of your opinion. I don't want you to take away some because of popular culture. You just do what I said. And obedience is going to lead to a possession. But as soon as you start tinkering with obedience, you lessen the potency of it. The other day I was going down the road and looked over. And the guy next to me had to be from our wonderful state. So how do you know? Well, his bumper was sewed on with zip ties. I'm not talking about one, I'm not talking about two. I'm talking about one or two packs. The man's bumper was stitched on with zip ties. And I looked over there and he had the biggest smile on his face like, yeah, America, you know? It works, that's the way we are. Just kind of fix it, make it work. And it was working. He was working. Uh, I mean, me and Miley were out on a date the other day, and uh, this guy makes this sharp turn, and all of a sudden, he turns right into the curb in front of McAllister's and rips his bumper off. He pulls her to the gas station. We were. Miley's laughing at them. I had to tell her, put your head down. or They're going to come shoot at us because you're laughing at the guy. For And the guy's wife was in the car, which makes it worse. He was out there with some zip ties. He was stitching his back on. In a few minutes, they just took off down the road, just that bumper flapping in the wind. It was working. It would work. Hey, it got by. There's a lot of things in our life that we're, you know what, it's good enough. I went on Sunday morning. That's good enough. Hey, I even went on Sunday night. I don't have to go on Wednesday night. It's good enough. But can I tell you something? Obedience is Obedience. There is no such thing as partial obedience. Partial obedience is disobedience before God. That's the standard God has. Now, I'm not trying to be an ogre tonight because I have to live by this too. But understand, when we stand before God, he's not going to say, well, you got about 85% of it, right? Well done. No, God demands full obedience. Mark 12, 30, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with some of thy heart, and most of thy soul, and a little bit of thy mind— No, what does it say? And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. What does that mean? It means God expects full obedience from us. And if we want the blessings of God and the possession of obedience, we've got to understand the potency of obedience comes from full obedience to God. give you another Patrick Henry quote. Listen to this. Righteousness alone can exalt America as a nation. Notice that. Not righteousness plus the intellect, not righteousness plus the financial systems, no. Righteousness alone can exalt America as a nation. He says, reader, exclamation point, whoever thou art, remember this, and in thy sphere practice virtue thyself and encourage it in others. The great pillars of all government and social life, I mean virtue, morality, and religion, this is the armor, my friend, and this alone that renders us invincible. He said, it's obedience to God. What made us invincible? I mean, what protected us? My dad and I were talking this morning about George Washington. How many horses were shot out from under him? Two, three, four? Two horses shot out from under him. Bullet holes in his coat. I mean, it's almost like the guy was bulletproof. It's almost like God wanted him around. He did. That's just the way God works. When we're obedient to the will and word of God, there's a possession at the end of it. But as soon as you start, you know what? I'm going to try to do just good enough. Then watch the blessings of God begin to taper off. This is why Paul says in Acts 20, 27, I love this verse because it gets me out of trouble. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of this I don't like to preach. I'm just being honest. Some of it's personal. I don't want to preach it because I'm... Look, you know how hard it is for a guy like me to preach on patience? Lord, I'd rather not preach on that. I'm still working on that one myself. I have to declare the whole counsel of God, all of it. You see, here's the way this works. Paul preached it all because they needed to know it all because they were going to be accountable to all of it. You see, folks, that's why... And, boy, we ought to pray for them. There's a lot of pastors in this country that will stand before God and give an account for not preaching at all because they were afraid about filling pews and people leaving and mean phone calls and mean text messages. Folks, the potency of the possession is all determined upon obedience, full obedience. I won't take the time to turn there because I feel like the flag man will be here shortly. First Samuel 15 God tells Saul to destroy all the Amalekites and Agag. The Bible says he went in there and he destroyed a lot of them. The Bible says that he kept back Agag. He held him back. He says, you know what? I, I know God said destroy all of them, but you know what? I'm going to keep him. That's partial obedience. And you know what it costs Saul? The blessings of God. The blessings of God. He missed out. Why? Because he wasn't fully obedient to the Lord. Here's what the Bible says about Solomon, 1 Kings 11. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. You're thinking, what did he do? Was he like a Satan worshiper or something? Listen. Listen what evil was. And went not fully after the Lord. He went not fully after the Lord, as did David, his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is for Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. What happened? Where did the trouble get in? It was in that area that he was not obedient to God. You ever feel like the devil has made it behind enemy lines and is living in your spare bedroom? You ever feel like that? Tinkering with your car? messing with your mind, stirring your wife up against you, making your kids mad, and you're thinking, man, he has moved into my spare bedroom. You know what? He doesn't move into our spare bedroom, but I'll tell you where he does move. He moves into the areas of incomplete obedience. So the Bible says neither give place to the devil. Do you know where you give place to the devil for him to work and shoot at you from? You give him place in the areas that you're not fully obedient to God. uh, Solomon's trouble came from the places that he didn't fully follow after God. So number two, the potency of obedience. He says, don't add to it, don't take away, just do it. As difficult as it is, just be obedient to God. Look down, if you will, verse five. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as, even as the Lord my God commanded me that ye should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. Now, watch this, I love this part. The Bible says, Verse 6, keep, therefore, and do them. Now notice this continual, continual preaching of obedience. Just be obedient, just be obedient, just be obedient. Now watch this. Jump back up, and I want you to see verse 3. In the middle of verse 3, he scares them a little bit. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor. For all the men that follow Baal Peor, the Lord thy God, hath destroyed them from among you. In the middle of it, he gives them a very relative reminder of what happens when you're not obedience, obedient. Notice verse 3, it says, Your eyes have seen what the Lord did. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did. Number 3, notice the pattern of obedience. The pattern of obedience. You know, there have been far too many in the Word of God, even in our life, that we have seen with our eyes that have rebelled against being obedient to the will and Word of God and have all met the same fate. Destruction. That's the only fate that waits for those who seek to live out of the will and word of God in disobedience. That's the fate that waits for them. Sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. At the end of disobedience, it's always death. Now here's what he's saying: You've seen enough with your eyes to know what happens when you're not obedient. Now folks look, all of us tonight, we' can go around this room, and all of us have known people. Who've lived in disobedience, whose lives ended in destruction, and there's no doubt what happened. God says you've seen that with your eyes. You know what the Bible says in Luke 17, 32, remember Lot's wife? Remember what happens in disobedience. God says I want you to notice there's a pattern in obedience. You watch people get out of the will of God. And listen, I'm not talking about making a mistake. I'm talking about a lifestyle of disobedience contrary to the known will and word of God. And they're living that lifestyle. And all of a sudden, we see destruction. Here goes another one. Destruction. Here goes another one. Destruction. We lose this family. We lose this home. We lose this person. God says, haven't you seen enough with your eyes to know what happens when you live in disobedience? We've seen enough. How many countries tonight, I love using Rome, sit in ruins because they tried to defy God? God says, okay, America. America. I mean, how many of you, I know Brother Nate, a few of you, y'all have been to Italy. You visit the ruins. Do you know what those are ruins of? Disobedience. Folks who defied God and tried to do it without God. God says there's a pattern there. Now, history is littered with the leftovers of disobedience. And here's my question before I give you the last thing How many do we have to see with our eyes before we decide we don't want to go down that road? How many families have to be lost before we realize we can't do it without God? How many young people have to be lost? Listen, how many young people do our young people have to see go down the path of disobedience before they realize God's not going to be mocked, that God's always going to be right, and therefore I choose to live in obedience? Why? Because I want to live and possess the land. I don't want to be like those that I've seen and what the Lord did, destroying them. Put the common denominators together. There's a pattern. And then finally, here's my favorite part. This is what I've been wanting to get to. Verse 6. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. I love verse number six. Why? We're seeing the product of obedience, a product. Now, here's what's amazing. He says the nations that are around you are going to look upon you. And they're going to see your wisdom and understanding. And they're going to hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Now watch this. What was their wisdom and understanding? What was the nations looking at saying, wow, look at those people. Look at this nation. He says, your wisdom and your understanding. That's what made you great. Do you know that's what made America great? We talk on and on, let's make America great again. Make America great again, just make America obedient again. Because watch, it was our wisdom and our understanding. That is what made us great. It wasn't of us. It was the wisdom and understanding, what they looked upon and they said, wow, look at those people. It was just obedience to God. That was our wisdom and that was our understanding. I believe tonight, with all of my heart, we do live in a land of opportunity. And yes, it's a land of opportunity to have a great job, live out your dreams, build your homes, raise your children, opportunity to go to church. But can I tell you what this land of opportunity is really about? It's the opportunity to be obedient. And there were some people years ago, 250 years ago, who said, you know, I wonder what would happen if we took this book and built a country on it. I wonder what that would provoke God to do. Well, the answer is very simple, you're living in it. You're living in the product of what happens when you seek to live and to live out the opportunity of obedience. Now folks, look, they made that decision and we have reaped from it for years. But here's the problem, I told my wife this the other day. I said, we've spent all of our time picking the fruit that we haven't planted any trees. They planted all these trees of obedience. And for years, we've been picking the fruit. Financial prosperity, liberty, freedom. Oh, we've reaped the fruit of it. And we've been so busy gorging ourselves on the fruit of what somebody else planted, we haven't taken the time to plant some trees of obedience ourselves. And our kids are going to have nothing. Folks, tonight, why don't we decide just us people here, those watching on live stream tonight? We're going to plant some trees of obedience so that our children, like we, will enjoy the smiles of God, the blessings of God, the protections of God, all because someone made the decision, you know what, we're just going to be obedient and do what God says. Let's have our heads bowed tonight and our eyes closed.